the Colby Daniels Podcast. I am Colby Daniels, along with my co-host, Will Brewer. It is back-to-back fight week, pay-per-view style in the UFC. What a blockbuster UFC 267 was. UFC 268, Saturday night, Madison Square Garden, New York City. The stage doesn't get any bigger than what Colby Covington and Kamaru, pound-for-pound champion Usman, are going to see on Saturday night. We had Ann New. Last Saturday night, in a shocker, Glover Teixeira over Jan Blachowicz. Uh, Look, I think that entire fight card lived up to uh, everything that we discussed last week. This one is as good, if not better, for UFC 268. Will Brewer, man, what's happening? Man, you know, it just feels, this whole pay-per-view week for 268, it feels big. It feels like like this is big. Um, just the the all of the media attention, uh, all of the interviews that you see throughout the week, it feels like this is a big deal. And uh, this is probably the the deepest, biggest card of the year. Um, you know, we didn't have Bruce Buffer at the uh, last event. We didn't have Joe Rogan at the last event. Yeah. They're both going to be in attendance for this one. Like, oh man, like it all just feels big. This this, I mean, we've had the whole pandemic. And even the, some of the pay-per-views after the pandemic, they've, they've been great and everything. But this one feels um, kind of normal, like a, a big-time pay-per-view, uh, a big-time pay-per-view that we're going into. So I'm, I'm excited for this. Like, this card is stacked. I can't wait, man. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. UFC 267 was awesome, and I loved it. But the reality is, like you said, like, I, I think you, you were here. We were watching it together, and I think at one point I even said, like, man, like— no offense to anybody else, but there's only one Bruce Buffer, right? Like, nobody else gets the hair on my arm standing up with an <laughs> intro the way that Bruce Buffer does. And so you add Bruce Buffer to the mix, you know, the uh, uh, the whole, you know, growling in the guy's face as he announces the name. Uh, Raining, defending, undisputed. Like, every time it gets me, I'm, I just, like, get a tear in my eye, and I want to stand up and, and just, like, you're the man, Bruce. You're the man. Uh, Joe Rogan, yeah, like uh, his voice is, uh, you know, synonymous with the sport. So having him finally back on a pay-per-view card, first one since July, I believe, is awesome. New York City, Madison Square Garden, the history inside that building as far as combat sports are concerned. And then the final piece of it all is back to Saturday night, right? For as much as I absolutely enjoyed waking up, having my first cup of coffee as I watched a fight take place inside the Octagon at Fight Island, like... There's something about having one of these events take place on a Saturday night that makes it special. So that card last Saturday was awesome. But when you add all the elements into what UFC 268 is going to be, holy cow, I can't wait. Yeah, just to um, uh, piggyback off of like Bruce and Joe and then the MSG itself, you know, with combat sports like Bruce and Joe, you can tell how much they love the sport in there with Joe, with how he's a he's a fan. Like you can tell how passionate he is about the sport. Like when when there's a crazy knockout, he's going crazy. You know, he's not being professional. He's absolutely out there being himself. Uh, Same thing with Bruce, how hyped he gets. Um, He's jumping up and down with the cards and like flipping them up and down and literally screaming. You see his face turning red and stuff like that's all passion. Yeah. uh, And it's all that goes into the sport. And that's why we love it so much. And then with with the MSG element of it, you know, as soon as uh, the UFC touched touched down in MSG, there's always been some type of magic that's happened at MSG. Like you remember, uh, of course, Conor McGregor uh, becoming a two division champion. You remember GSP making his comeback. 
uh, the BMF title fight. You know, they had The Rock coming out there for that. Like everyone, like everyone comes out for this. This is a big time event. MSG always brings uh, all the magical moments. Um, like like that GSP uh, fight card. There were three new champions on that fight card. Like just that never happens yeah. uh, in MMA. So there's always some type of magic that happens. And I'm I'm I think there's going to be another. Uh, night of magic with 268 i mean there's just no other way that this night can go yeah i mean it's it's the combination of insanely great matchups and even if you don't necessarily like a specific matchup like there are entertaining fighters scattered throughout this entire card and uh, yeah i i am uh i am excited for saturday night i mean usman covington too the first fight's one of the i, I don't know i i don't want to put a number on it but i'll just say one of the one of the best most entertaining UFC title fights that I've ever seen. We kind of anticipate Gaethje Chandler has has a chance to be that. We were all shocked with the way that Rose Namahunas and uh, Wei Lee went the first time around. Shane Burgos, you know, on his own, always brings an entertaining style that you know somebody is going down in that fight. I mean, Cheeto Vera, Frankie Edgar, first time back in the octagon since his devastating knockout. And then there are great prelims. I mean, there are names on the prelims that uh, would be on most pay-per-view cards, the pay-per-view portion of the card. Uh, this is this is badass, and I- I'm telling you, Saturday night, Gaethje Chandler out of the gate on the on the main card portion. Like, I'm worried that it's going to set a standard that no other fight, the four <laughs> fights after that, won't be able to hit. But I promise you, no matter how great Gaethje Chandler is, when Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman are face-to-face and they're reading the rules and they say, touch gloves, I mean, and that's moments after Bruce Buffer has screamed, reigning, defending, undisputed champion for Kamaru Usman. Like, there is, there's no way there's a person walking the planet watching that that's not going to be excited, standing up, like, let's let's get this going. Yeah, man. The For Gaethje and Chandler to open up the main card, the, the crowd is going to be already geeked up. I mean, the, the prelims are already probably going to bring out, like, a bunch of exciting finishes or exciting moments. But then you bring out Gaethje Chandler. You already know what that fight's about. And then, you know, Frankie Edgar fighting in, the, uh, in, his, home, in his hometown. Shane Burgos and Billy Q. Uh, you know, those guys are going to throw down Thug Rose. I'm, you know, she uh, already made a magical moment happen at, at MSG when she beat Joanna uh, when she was uh, on a unbeaten streak uh, as champion. So the crowd is going to be behind Rose. I'm not sure how Whaley's going to take it. She might get booed again. <laughs> but, you know, um, and then you go to the main event with Usman and Covington. If if the night hasn't already delivered, I mean, I, I just for me personally, I hope the crowd still has enough energy left in their system for when these two guys are uh, locked in the cage for the main event when Bruce is announcing them. And I, I think you know, since Bruce missed this last uh, 267, I think since he missed it, I think he, these um, introductions are going to have that little extra something. Not only that, but we're in MSG. Like yeah. I feel like Bruce is going to be click. He's going to be firing on all cylinders, man. Like this whole night, it's going to be crazy. I can't wait, man. I cannot wait. Yeah, this is an awesome fight card, and uh, we will get to our selections very, very shortly. But first, Will, we have to rewind Saturday afternoon. We were watching UFC 267. Um, we got to start with the main event, right? I mean, I think I didn't hear a single person in the MMA community, at least that I either saw make picks or heard. I, I didn't see anybody pick Lover. Not a single person anywhere. I don't know if you caught any any big MMA journalists or analysts or anything pick Glover, but uh, I mean, I, I think we were all not only stunned that Glover won, but in the fashion he won, right? Like that was a completely 
dominant performance from a 42-year-old that was already, you know, kind of viewed as as one of the greats in that division, but stamped his Hall of Fame ticket on Saturday. Yeah, man, it's 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 good to see one of the good guys of the sport um, go out there at 42 years old when everyone thought that his career was winding down, uh, start start this run, and then go out there and just completely uh, dominate and uh, walk out with the title, man. Just uh, knowing his journey uh, as far as like all of the fights that he's been through, you know, he's fought John Jones, lost, and then the road to get back, how he just stayed with it, you know, despite, you know, being 42, uh, going out there and just, you know, Showing that if you if you uh, you know stay with it, uh, stay committed to the to the grind, uh, you know no matter no matter how old you are, you know you can still go out there and, and, and compete at a high level. You know Glover proved a lot of of, uh, of naysayers wrong. Um, you're right, man. I'm sure that there weren't many people, if any, who uh, paid the Glover. Jan was a minus like 300 favorite. I thought the line should have been a, uh, a little closer, but yeah. a majority of the people were all saying, you know, we you acknowledge how tough Glover is. You respect how much uh, it took for Glover to get back in this position. You respect the journey and everything. But you just thought, you know, with how Jan had uh, won the title, um, how, you know, Jan's run of knocking out Corey Anderson and Luke Rockhold, Dominic Reyes becoming the champion. And then when he beat Israel Adesanya, you know, not many people, you know, would have expected a guy like Jan Blachowicz to beat Israel Adesanya. So when you have all that going for you, um, you expect Jan to go out there and win, and the odds reflected that. But the fight itself, <laughs> I mean, Glover went out there and dominated. Uh, it was definitely a surprise to me. You know, um, I, I still want to pay as much respect to Jan because he is a, he was a champion and everything. But I bet $20 on Jan Blachowicz, and I was pretty confident uh, with, with one of my buddies from work. And uh, I literally, like, shook his hand, and I walked away from him, and I was thinking, well, that's like the easiest $20 I'm ever going to make. And yeah, for for me to lose that and to come back after being all confident and come back to have to yeah. give him twenty dollars, it stung a little bit. I got to admit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I think we both agreed. Uh, I mean, in terms of this fight and where it could be won for Glover. I mean, there was a massive advantage for Glover if this thing got to the ground. But uh, you know, I think the thing that that we both kind of leaned on going into that fight was how patient we saw. Jan Blahovich against Israel Adesanya, right? Like, he never forced anything. He waited for his moments. He executed a perfectly crafted game plan against Israel Adesanya. And I don't know, maybe it was somewhat foolish, but I kind of thought, like, okay, we're going to see him once again be patient, not necessarily force the issue, not, uh, not try to get out of the gate too fast, right? Like, respect that this guy's ground game and take your take your opportunity. I think we even both said like this will probably be a pretty boring first round. And uh, I think two things happened. Number one, I don't know how how much Jan Blahovich respected Glover's takedown ability, but also I don't know how much Glover respected Jan just being able to KO him because it, it didn't feel like Glover was too worried about potentially getting hit either. So uh, it was man, it was it was an awesome fight, and it was awesome to you know just have, like have that level of shock as you're watching something like, I can't believe this is happening, but uh, I mean, well-deserved to, uh, to Glover Teixeira as now a, a champion for, and for Jan Blachowicz, like this was a guy that I think we all thought was going to have a pretty decent, you know, a light heavyweight run as the champion. Yeah, man. Um, you know, the, the, the fight itself, um, 
I thought Jan came out and he expected um, to kind of be able to settle into the to the fight. Um, fighting Izzy, fighting uh, Reyes, he he kind of was able to kind of settle in and then yeah. you know kind of get going later on. Glover put him on his heels probably uh, immediately, and um, you know I don't think Jan was uh, was prepared for that. Um, I think you know Glover in most of his fights he's normally the one pressing the action uh, anyway, but I think um, it was more. Uh, he was more aggressive at the gate, and I don't think uh, Jan was prepared for that uh, because the takedown just seemed so easy. I mean, there was like no, um, there was no real struggle. Jan or uh, Glover just was able to get him down, and I, I was, I was shocked by that that he was able to get him down so, uh, so quickly. Uh, when he was able to do that, I thought um, my mind kind of shifted towards like, oh man, like this is a problem uh, because if Glover's able to get him down like this, like this is definitely a, a problem. And then. Um, in the second round, when, he's able, when he was able to land uh, and hurt Jan, you know, I wasn't expecting that because Jan's been, uh, you know, people haven't really been uh, eager to go in there into the fire and yeah. try to land something big on on Jan. <laughs> you know, if you go back to Dominic Reyes and Corey Anderson, if you get too close, you're getting slept. You know, Luke Rocco, these guys are getting slept. And Glover just uh, was moving forward. Like like you said, he wasn't, like he didn't respect the power. Maybe it wasn't that he didn't respect the power. It's just more so that he was very confident and um, he had his grappling uh, if, um, if he got hurt, so you know, props to Glover, man. Yeah. Uh, he he went out there and just uh, completely dominated. Uh, it was definitely not the fight I was expecting uh, for him for him to win. And just you see the outpouring of love from the MMA community uh, when he, when you can get a guy like John Jones, the asshole that he is, when you can get a guy <laughs> like John Jones to say something nice about you and not uh, talk some shit. <laughs> when you can get that, like you you got to be respected. And uh, you know, everyone was genuinely happy. Even Conor McGregor, you know, <laughs> normally when these fights happen, Conor's trying to say something to uh, steal the shot, the, the spotlight from someone else. You know, it was all about Glover, and I'm glad he got his moment. Uh, props, respect to Glover. Yeah, uh, that's that's the line of the podcast. So I don't, I don't know that that one can be topped. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and you're right. I, I don't think that he didn't like not respect Jan's power, but I think it was. He's 42 years old. He knows that this is his only opportunity, right? It's it's not like he has an entire career in front of him. This is his big moment, and here's the thing. You can either be patient for five rounds and potentially get pieced up on the feet, or you can say, fuck it, this is my chance to go win the fight, and where I have a big advantage is getting it to the ground. I'm either going to get pieced up being patient, or maybe he lands a big shot going in, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this fight happen where I want it to happen. Consequences be damned, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's 42. Uh, at this point, like... If this is his last chance, like go out on your shield. Yeah. If you're gonna go get yeah. knocked out, like don't don't fear anything. Like right. that's how he went. That's how he approached it. Like this is my last chance. I'm going in there. Like if I get knocked out, I get knocked out. Fuck it, you know. <laughs> like I'm not gonna. It seemed like he was uh, not gonna leave any regrets out there. Like he was gonna go out there, leave it all on the table. If it if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. And it it happened for him. And uh, you know, for Jan, he performed really well in this pandemic climate when there's not a lot of fans and everything. I, I tend to wonder if being in front of uh, a crowd um, and feeling the energy of the crowd and everything might have played a factor. I mean, Jan doesn't really strike me as a guy that really cares much about uh, about the fans and everything, but his his energy, just everything just was off as soon as he got into the cage. So yeah. uh, I wonder if that played a part, but I mean, I don't want that to take away from, from Glover, but just... Uh, that was not the the champion Jan Blahovich that we've seen. That that looked more like the Jan Blahovich that was almost cut from the UFC. <laughs> to yeah. be to be quite honest with you, you ready for Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prohaska? 
Yeah, man. I mean, for as excited as we were about Yuri and Jan, I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way about Glover and, and uh, Yuri, you know? So, uh, so you know, Yuri, I think Glover brings more of a, of a challenge than Jan does because, uh, you know, Jan has that power. But Glover can take this fight to the ground, and we don't—we haven't really seen Yuri um, deal with a grappler, with a guy who's who could take him down, along with having big punching power. Like we've seen Yuri against Dominic Reyes, who's not going to um, initiate any grappling. We've seen him against Volkanovsdemir, who's not going to initiate any grappling. So um, he's kind of just broke guys on the feet, and you know, Glover is not doesn't strike me as a guy who's just going to stay and stay standing. Uh, he's going to mix things up. So. Um, I'm very excited for that fight um, and to potentially see Yuri and uh, face some adversity. Yeah. Look, I, I, you're right. I, we don't know how good Yuri is, but I, I think that we all have massively underrated how good at 205 Glover Teixeira is on the ground, right? Like he's big, he's strong, and he's massively skilled on the ground. I, like I, I sure. Yuri might be really good, but I think it's a severe... Uh, underestimation if we don't anticipate that thing going to the ground and it being massive advantage for Glover. <laughs> right. Ma- massive, massive advantage, advantage. for Glover. Massive advantage. I mean, we haven't even seen uh, Yuri go to the ground or even want to go to the ground, but if it, that is the case, like, what does that look like with a tank like Glover right. on top of you? You know, like, we saw Jan is a big dude, and we saw how Glover was able to handle him. Yuri is uh, is smaller than uh, than Jan. If if Glover is able to get him down on his back, um, all of the all of that excitement and all of the uh, all of the stuff that Yuri's uh, known for the crazy strikes and stuff that's all negated if you're on the ground if you're on your back. Yeah. So um, like you said, it's it's massive advantage for Glover, and we don't know what uh, his submission defense is like. You know, th- these are all like areas where Glover can exploit him. So that for me that makes this matchup uh, that much more intriguing because you know I love a good chess match and yeah. uh, Yuri, uh, it's, he seems like a guy who's who's not really ever rattled. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if Glover can get him uh, on the ground to see if uh, Yuri panics or what, what that would even look like. Yeah, uh, yeah, he physically controlled Jan every minute that they were on the ground together. And then the skill comes in when you see how quickly he was able to break the guy down, flatten him out, and close the fight, right? Like, it was, it was pretty precise, precision execution on the ground from Glover Teixeira. So, uh, man, fun to watch. Fun to watch for sure. All right, our uh, co-main event... Pewter Jan, the uh, look, he's the he's the 135 king. That's the bottom line. What a fight this was. We thought it would be fight of the night. I've said for a while, I think Corey Sanhagen is a future champion. Uh, Pewter Jan left no debate about who currently is the best 135er walking the planet. And uh, I mean, what, what can you say? He fought a great fight. Uh, you know, all the things that we talked about in terms of how good he is boxing, the toughness, uh, you know, the, the way that he pressures you, just all the different elements of his game were on display. And, you know, when he hit Corey Sanhagen with that, uh, that spin, I mean, it, it kind of felt like Corey didn't recover from that for like two rounds. And, and I thought that was the big difference in the fight. And uh, Peter Jan's a bad, bad man. You know, um, seeing Peter Jan's rise, um, I was always left with like, excuses as to why I don't think he's actually the best of the best. Um, when he beat Uriah Faber, I'm like, well, Uriah Faber's 40, you know, when he beat Aldo, you know, Aldo's, uh, you know, he's new to the division, you know, he's not really in tune with fighting five rounds at 135 yet, you know, th- you know, these are all advantages for Jan with, uh, with, uh, with Sterling, of course, you know, um, it was looking like he was, co- he was about to win and then the illegal knee, so you don't really know how that fight 
um, would have ended, but it was trending towards. We know how towards... that would have ended. Right, right, right yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, it was definitely trending towards Peter Yan uh, getting the getting the win. Yeah. Uh, but man, when he how he went out there and basically just, uh, I, I really respected his IQ because. You know, you you hear you see a lot of people say that Jan's a slow starter, and I don't think it's because it's not one of those things like Cowboy Cerrone where um, he kind of it kind of takes him a minute to like get like prepare for the fight. Warm up the up. engine, yeah. Right, right. That's not the case at all. Like Peter Jan is like, as DC always says, he's he's collecting data in the yeah. first round. He's he's picking his shots. Like he's very very efficient, and he didn't throw much in the first round, but he he was seeing what Corey liked to throw. He was uh, seeing what power shots would land because there was a few big power shots that he landed in the first round. The body kicks, uh, big leg kicks, uh, a couple of uh, nice combinations on the feet. So uh, he's collecting data in the first round. And and a lot of these guys, like Corey won the first round. It was pretty easy. Aljo won the first round against Jan. Uh, Aldo won the first round against Jan. He kind of just gives that round away. And then kind of in the in the middle of the second round, then he starts to pick things up again. Uh, he starts to pick, thing, pick things up. So, uh, and that's just the same thing that happened with this uh, Corey fight. You know, you can make a case that Corey w- uh, won the second round. Uh, that round was really, really close. I, re- I remember we were watching it live, and I think uh, Jan landed the the bigger power strikes, but Corey was yeah. uh, his volume was still there. But like you said, after Peter Jan landed that uh, that spinning back fist in the third, that changed the whole fight. You know, Corey was uh, he wasn't moving the same. Uh, he wasn't throwing with as much volume. Uh, it kind of got to a point where, you know, at first Corey was was mixing in the takedown threat just to keep Peter Yan honest. But I think towards the end of the fight, like he was wanting to go to the ground, like he did not want to stand anymore. Yeah, he wanted to go to the ground and try to uh, wrap up a submission because he knew like uh, it was kind of slipping away from him. From him, uh, but man, Peter Yan, man, I'm you know I had a lot of questions about him at first, but and I know I picked him, but I still I still had a lot of questions about him. But this guy is the 135 pound king you know i i know i'm a big aljo fan but man peter Jan is a problem yeah. a, a big problem i don't know if Corey sandhagen for how skilled that he is can't beat peter Jan. i don't really see any uh, a lot of other people being able to take on that challenge it's uh P- peter Jan is uh he's a special fighter for sure yeah again i think that you know the spinning back fist i th- I, f- I thought took Corey's legs for two rounds like it it, it until the fifth, he he didn't look like he fully found his legs again. Uh, but, I mean, you mentioned the first round, and I think that's probably the most impressive part of all of this is we got to see Corey Sanhagen display the entire arsenal in that first round, right? Like, all the weapons that Corey Sanhagen possesses, and I, I said this last week, the reason I picked him, he has, the, he has the best arsenal of weapons of anybody in that division. And for Jan to collect all that data and get hit with everything that Corey threw in that first round download it and then you know at like round two on diagnose like here's what he's gonna do he's gonna come at me from all these different angles I mean fists kicks knees elbows it it comes from literally everywhere and to control the fight the way that he did the rest of the way was really impressive and you know I think so often in this sport we uh we talk about like the power and the offensive threat of a guy not only is Pewter Yawn a threat that way, but, you know, you can argue pound for pound, like he might have the best defense in the UFC. Yeah, you know, I haven't I haven't seen a guy have as good of defense as that. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a high guard. So, you know, you know, you can't really hit him uh, in his face, but 
he's still able to check kicks. He's still, I mean, he takes his body strikes here and there, but I mean, it's very few and far between. It's really hard to hit him flush. And Corey, it just shows how skilled that Corey is because Corey was able to hurt him. I think with a jab, uh, Corey, uh, his his length and his movement, it's going to pose a problem for anybody. And for for Corey to be able to do that to Jan, it just shows how good that that he is. But like you said, Peter Jan's defense, I haven't seen anything like that in, in the UFC. Uh, I would like to see uh, the numbers of of um, of his fights of, of like how how much people are landing. Like, what is this the percentage of how people are landing against Jan? Because I know it's they're throwing a lot, they're being very active, but what's actually landing and what's actually what's actually hurting him? It doesn't seem right. like there's much that's really affecting Jan. He's still moving forward, and after a while, I think this is what happened with Aljo and um, Jose Aldo. You throw so much that you just you just get so drained and you get so tired. And then by the time you're getting tired, Jan's like, okay. And you haven't heard him yet. Let, yeah. It, you know, it's time for, it's time for Jan to let loose. And, and by that time you're so drained that there's not really anything that you could, that you can do to, to stop him. So um, yeah, man, Peter Jan, just, you know, watching him uh, in that fight, I, I got all my questions answered about him. Uh, I'm a believer, man. I am a believer of Peter Jan. Yeah, no doubt. What do you want to see next for Jan? At 135, obviously the whole title situation is such a clusterfuck. But uh, I mean, Jan's the champ in my book. So I mean, what's next? I think um, I think you have to go to to Aljo next. I think there's a story behind it. Um, well, depending on my, if, depending on Aljo's health situation was my point. Like we, that's obviously next. Depending on how long he's ultimately out. But in the meantime, if that's an okay, extended so, thing. If if it's an extended thing, then you have to look to uh, T.J. Dillashaw because I think out of everyone uh, in that division, uh, matchup wise for Jan, I think T.J. Uh, is the guy that can that poses the most trouble, I guess, because of his awkward movement and because he can uh, take this fight to the ground uh, and, and uh, kind of negate uh, Peter Jan's uh, defense on the feet and things like that. I think uh, TJ would be able to give him different looks instead of just standing with him the entire time. Um, so I, I would like to see how that matchup would play out. But then, of course, you got uh, Rob Font and uh, Aldo fighting for uh, probably a number one contender uh, contendership. So uh, Rob Font and Peter Yan, I think, would be fun. But, you know, of course, he has to get through Aldo first. Right. And Aldo's been looking crazy good um, at 135. Uh, now that he's like really in tune with 135, I think a, a Jan and Aldo fight would uh would be a lot better this time around. So, you know, who, who knows, man? Uh, it, it all depends on, on Aljo right now. But, uh, you know, if he is not ready soon, uh, we could be looking at uh, Peter Jan being the undisputed champion and uh, Aljo just completely getting passed up. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, another guy that I've dubbed a, a uh, future champion, Islam Mahashev, Dan Hooker. My only question about this fight was how much resistance Dan Hooker would have in terms of the takedown. We talked about this last week. If the fight got down, no question, Islam runs away with the fight. It's just, you know, can Dan Hooker prolong this fight on the feet and, and prevent Islam from getting it down? It happened quick, and it was over quick, Will. <laughs> You know, uh, I think Dan started off good with his movement and everything. Um, I think it was he threw a kick and uh, got off balance. And, like, at the same time, Islam threw, like, a a punch that landed on his chest and uh, knocked uh, Dan Hooker off balance, and he fell. Um, but once Islam was on top, you know, Dan Hooker had no answer for him. Uh, 
to see how strong that he that he was on top, you know, it's a problem for a, a lot of these for, for a lot of these lightweights. Um, you know, I, I felt like Dan Hooker was going to be um, a little bit more crafty on the ground, but I just think Islam's strength just just negated everything that Dan Hooker uh, even tried to do. He was able to pass his guard and. Uh, once he got into that half guard and uh, started to attack the arm, there was nothing that that Dan Hooker could do. So, um, very impressive performance. Um, we 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 were on this uh, train way before a lot of people were. Yeah. We we said on a podcast, I think before one of his earlier fights, that Islam is probably going to be favored over most uh, lightweights, if not all lightweights, uh, right now. Yeah, way before not- the Moises and Dober fights. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just you you could see it. Like yeah. uh, he this, he was Khabib 2.0. And even though he hadn't been fighting the competition, like you could see, like there wasn't going to be much that anyone else is going to be able to do with him, uh, I, and it just showed in this Dan Hooker fight. Um, I mean, and he's actually finishing Dan Hooker in the first round. Like uh, before, you know, he's going to decision. He's beating these guys kind of after uh, a few rounds, but this one he made a statement. It was quick, and uh, you know, I don't know what's next for him, but I mean, I would not be shocked if it was a title shot. I don't really know who else would even be in the conversation to fight him right now with a lot of the with a lot of the uh, guys kind of booked. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Well, here's the thing. Like Dan Hooker, I think what we witnessed is the fact that Islam had a tremendous amount of respect for potentially Dan Hooker's defense because he wasn't messing around with trying to battle on the feet or do it. Like he literally took advantage of the very first opportunity that presented itself for him to get Dan Hooker to the mat. So to me, that says that, you know, the game plan was we're not messing around with Dan Hooker on the feet. We know that he potentially, uh, you know, the length and the kicks and the elbows, you know, potentially could be a problem if you're not able to, to get him down quickly. And the minute that that opportunity was there, it went to the ground. I don't think Dan Hooker's bad on the ground. But the difference between where Islam Mahashev is on the ground and where everybody else in that division is on the ground is miles. It's not even close. Like, we, we can talk about how, you know, polished some of these guys are and how good they are on the ground. Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Dan, like, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, if, if a fight with Islam Mahashev and any of those guys gets to the canvas, the fight's over, man. Or at least that round's over. Like, his level on the ground... He's lapping these dudes in that department, right? That's how far ahead he is of everybody at 155 on the ground. So, you know, like I said at the beginning, like my only question was how long could Dan Hooker prolong this fight from getting to that point? The answer was not very long. And as soon as it was there, I mean, that was that was ball game. So, you know, some of the other guys that he's fought to this point, I think probably have decent ground games in comparison to maybe some of the massive strikers at the top of <laughs> these rankings at 155. But if he gets a title shot, I mean, you know, Charles Oliveira is pretty crafty on the ground. I, I don't know from a strength standpoint if uh, if he could prevent Mahashev from doing what he wants to do. Although he's, you know, he's a massive threat to to potentially get a submission if Mahashev gets too careless. But I, I don't know where there's a tight gap on the ground with him and anybody else. Yeah, man. You know, I think uh, to bring Khabib into this, I think that's what made Khabib so good. Yeah. And I think that's what made uh, the Khabib and Tony Ferguson fight so intriguing because of how active that Tony was on the ground. Uh, nobody else was going to be that active and how Tony could uh, just uh, pop out a submission. At, yeah, how he could scramble, pop out a submission uh, at any point. Uh, that's what made that fight so intriguing. But I remember uh, going into that Gaethje fight with uh, Khabib's last fight against Gaethje. You know, a lot of people were talking about how Gaethje was a, was a wrestler and everything. But 
when it came to those grappling exchanges in the fight, it didn't matter. It, it didn't seem like Justin was a, a polished wrestler whatsoever. So I see uh, that being a similar case with Islam. Yeah. Like we know Dustin can is good on the ground. We know um, uh, we know Gaethje's a, a wrestler. We know Michael Chandler is a wrestler. Uh, we know Benil Dariush is good on the ground. But when when it's against Islam, <laughs> against the against these guys who are just so strong uh, on the ground, like with with Khabib and Islam, it, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Uh, and with any of these guys, man, any of these guys at the, at the top of the division, these guys are great. These guys are so good. You know exactly what Islam and Khabib, these guys, you know exactly what they're going to do. But there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Nothing. Yeah. And you got to knock his crazy. ass out before he takes you down. I mean, that's that's, that's it. That's it. You got to knock his ass out because if that he like you just said it, all those guys are good, but right. he's great on the ground. That's the difference. <laughs> like he's great on the ground. He's world class on the ground. So if you don't knock him out, like that fight's going to the canvas, and when it gets there, you're done. <laughs> so and then it makes me wonder, like, what's what's your game plan? Because you you know what's coming. You don't want. You don't want to get to the ground with Islam. So if you overextend trying to knock him out, you're going to the ground. Yeah. So, but if you lay back, you're still going to the ground. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before he gets you. So, like, what is the recipe to beating a guy like Islam? Is it the Derek <laughs> Lewis to... Curtis Blades mentality? Like, you just have to sit back and hopefully time a big shot, and and if you land it, then you knock his ass out. And <laughs> I mean, that's the path. To be honest, to be quite real with you, <laughs> I think that's that that would be something that these guys would have to do. Yeah. Uh, because if you if you throw a leg kick. He's gonna catch it. You saw what happened with Dan Hooker. If you try to uh, throw a combination, like he's gonna, he's going to duck under that and take your legs and take you down. So like, it's going to have to be where you have to force a shot out of Islam and catch him coming in, like yeah. with a with a, a knee like uh, your boy Lerone Murphy landed, uh, or a big uppercut like uh, Derek Lewis landed on Curtis Blades. I think it's gonna take something like that. You're gonna have to force it out of him. But I think that Islam is such a good uh, grappler and he's so smart in there that I don't know if the if a forced shot's going to come. So, I yep. mean, we'll see, but I don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough recipe to, to try to overcome for sure. Yeah. Holy cow. That guy is, uh, it's, it's just a matter of time. Like that he will yeah. have that strap around his waist at some point. And maybe he's next. Maybe, you know, Justin Gaethje, who I think is with a, with an impressive win probably deserves the next shot. Uh, mostly because I think you look at, at potentially what that matchup could be. 2018 fight of the year, Poirier, Gaethje, run it back. You know, like we, we would all love that. Not to mention, I mean, the, the guy that relinquished that belt originally, his last two wins were over Gaethje and Poirier, correct? So like right, it, it only, yeah. it, it feels kind of right to allow those two guys to, to kind of have that opportunity with Khabib out of the picture. But it's a matter of time before Islam gets that chance. And, and I just think when he, when he eventually does, uh, he will be the guy at 155. All right, uh, Alexander Volkov and Marcin Tibura. Uh, this was this was, I think, about exactly as we expected, right? It wasn't a, a super interesting fight. Uh, I thought Volkov kind of did what we thought he was going to do, and uh, I, I don't know. I, in comparison to the other fights on this card, uh, you know, this this wasn't a, a big shocker, and it wasn't one of those like edge of your seat type of fights either. Yeah, you know, Volkov adding that extra weight, man. Um, he added that weight because. Uh, for, for this reason, Tybor is a, a big uh, takedown guy, a uh, grappling guy. But whenever he got a hold of Volkov, there was like, it was like he ran into a brick wall. There was nothing that he could do with it. Uh, so I kind of expected this. Um, yeah, like you said, not really any surprise factor or any uh, big finish or anything. It was just a, a solid performance from Volkov. And uh, 
uh, he'll uh, keep his spot amongst the top of the heavyweight division. Yeah. All right, another uh, another guy, three guys on this card. I said, Will, at some point over the last like year, year and a half, I've said three different guys, future champions in this sport. Corey Sanhagen, I said, will be a future bantamweight champion. He lost to Peter Yan. Islam Mahashev, who we just talked about, uh, I, we've both said, I think, over the last year, future 155 champ. He looked uh, nothing short of that on Saturday. And, uh, man, I thought this guy was arguably the biggest star of 2020, especially at Fight Island. Everything he accomplished in about a month and a half span was uh, insane. We were all disappointed with uh, the COVID and, and how it's impacted his scheduling over the last year. But what a comeback for the Wolf. Hamzat Chemaev, first round finish in violent, dominating fashion. This guy is as big a star as anybody in the sport right now. Holy shit, Will. Chemaev again. Like, where do you put Man. the expectations for this guy? Man, look, it's he's had four UFC fights, and the the number of times he's been hit, it's been fluctuating. Some people say that it's one, some people say that it's two. But whatever the case is, let's say it's two. I have clarity on this, by the way. Four fights. I did hear some clarity on this. Fights. He's been hit twice total in four fights, but he's only been hit with one significant shot in four fights. So there's where the mix-up is. Bro, it's been four, <laughs> Regardless, right. it's been four UFC fights. Four. And he has outstruck four different guys. He's hit them 252 or 54 times, whatever the number is, and he's only been hit twice with one significant strike. Like, if that doesn't tell you everything that you need to know about Hamzat Shemaev, I mean, gosh, this guy, the way that he's ragdolling people, like, I, I still go back to his first fight with John Phillips. I don't think I've ever seen so much done to one person in one minute and 10 seconds, but he literally destroyed this man in a way that I've never seen before. It That's was violent, like right? Star. It, it was violent. And it just seemed like this guy didn't uh, want any more of Hamzat after, after 30 seconds. Like, how does that even happen? And then he goes from that against Reese McKee, same thing. He goes up a weight class to fight Gerald Mearshart. You think that he's going to have some type of, uh, of challenge there, but he sleeps him with one shot, one shot, and it was over. And now he had COVID and it got so bad that he was contemplating retirement and, uh, you know, he had all this momentum halted. He, like he was supposed to fight Leon Edwards three separate times. Uh, but you wonder, like, is he going to have the same type of, of mat? I don't even know if you can call it magic, but same type of, if he's gonna, is he going to compete at the same level? But I think he took it up a level uh, with this performance because this was a ranked welterweight that has a name behind him that just knocked out uh, Santiago Pantanibio, who's no slouch. Knocked him out like Lee was a ranked guy. I think he was ranked number 11. And Hamzat wiped the floor with him. Bro, he grabbed him, <laughs> carried him over to Dana White so he could be like, watch what I'm about to do. And then beat the hell out of the guy. <laughs> there, he, he seems like he's another ty- Islam type guy on top. Like, yes, uh, there was there was nothing that Lee was able to do once uh, Hamzat got a hold of him. Hamzat was able to get exactly the position that he wanted to get to. Uh, and granted, Lee was tough. He fought those submissions, uh, the position, as long as he could. But uh, just Hamzat's strength and just how he can uh, maneuver on the ground, like, it was just, it was a flawless performance. And and then on top of that, like, the, the post-fight interview, I mean, like you said this before, how, like, violent and how much of, like, a killer that he sounds when he's talking, like, brother, 
I'll kill this guy. It's, right, because it's, no. it's so calm. It's like uh, it's so I'm calm. Scary path because I'm a psychopath and like. Whoa. Yeah, but in this interview, we saw some emotion. Like we saw raw emotion. Like you, you can just tell. Like all the shit that he had to deal with with COVID and contemplating retirement, all that stuff, it came out of him. And then he, he's like, he says to Dana, like, Dana, man, don't don't look at your phone while I fight. Don't <laughs> don't do that. Like I'll fight Brock Lesnar. I'll do this. Like. Uh, I mean, with with that post fight interview, I think his star just rose that much more. So, I mean, Hamza is a star. I don't think that there's ever been a guy like this uh, that's ever come into the UFC. I mean, we've seen guys get knockout after knockout and everything like that, but the way that he's mulling these guys, uh, it's it's special, man. And uh, the striking differential, it's it's just really really special. Um, I I want to see him uh, fight some of these uh, top five guys. I think there's some really really fun matchups out there for him. Yeah. But please. Please, for 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 all that's good in MMA, please don't put Hamza Shemaev in there with Nate Diaz. Oh. I have no desire to see that because I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, I know that they're just trying to build Hamza off of Nate Diaz's name just in case Nate Diaz is uh, not going to remain in the UFC. Going into the last fight on his contract, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, this is straight out of, uh, like, the WWE's playbook. Yeah. If, if there's a guy who's leaving, just you have to... Uh, basically you know do the job for somebody else you have to go out there and make somebody else a star make somebody a star and bury him in the process right and and bury him in the process and this is just the mma version and you would actually be making someone else a star while actually getting the other guy destroyed (laughs) so i I mean that's the worst possible matchup for nate diaz at 170 there would be no i mean the lead up would probably be fun but the fight itself would be so one-sided i mean you think these other four were one-sided i think we're going to see basically the same thing (laughs) i don't think that there's Nate, Nate Diaz is not going to not going to be able to stop a Hamza Shemaev takedown, um, and yeah, it's not going to be fun. And well, I mean, look, do we know that Hamza wouldn't knock him out? Uh, that's that's definitely possible. We know he has too. power in his hands, but we've not even seen enough of him on the feet to know like what that would look like. But we know that the power is there. But I mean, you're right. I mean, he Nate's not going to stop a takedown. That thing's going to get to the ground, and Hamza is probably just going to beat the hell out of him. And then submit him at some point. Like it's, I, I, he is, you know, when Habib first started and like, we saw how smothering he was on the ground, right? Like that's the best word to describe. I think what, what he did is like, he just smothered you when he got you down, but like there was ground and pound involved, but it was more so like, he's going to position himself to get to the point that he's going to finish the fight, right? Hamzat's going to kick your ass in the process of doing the same thing. Like, that's why I say it's a violent version of it because he doesn't just take you down and then smother you with his body and work himself to the point that he's going to submit you. He's going to beat the hell out of you while he also does that and then submits you. So, like, it's it's wild to watch. It is it is unique. I've never seen anything like it. Like, that dude is a straight killer, and not only is he going to dominate you on the ground, but you're, you might go to the hospital in the process. Like, it's not just going to be an easy tap out. Like, he's going to choke you out, and you're going to tap, and then, like, that's the end of it. He's going to bury his fist in your face for about two minutes before he makes you tap. And it's not going to be a very fun night. I, I, he is a problem. Uh, I, I absolutely believe at some point he's a 170 champion. Again, it's you know it's it's maybe a matter of of at what point does he get his opportunity. I I, I would hope that the UFC doesn't do that to Nate Diaz. And look, I mean Hamza Chimaev, I think is already a star. I would prefer to see Luke and, and Nate Diaz uh, if we're going to go that route and and maybe elevate Luke's star a little bit more. Um, without maybe giving Nate Diaz the worst possible stylistic matchup that you can think of. 
And look, I name your opponent if you're Chemaev. Like, I, I think anybody's on the table. Uh, Gilbert Burns, anybody. Look, Colby Covington this week in media called him come shot Chemaev. If you are not, if you're going to give like maybe Leon Edwards an opportunity for the belt after his Masvidal fight, or, you know, if Luke has potentially earned the next shot with another win, then, uh, you know, if Usman, if Usman retains the belt, go Colby Covington. That'd be a, that'd be an awesome build up to a fight. And I think it'd be probably stylistically as interesting a fight as there possibly is at 170. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, they're putting Hamza on a, on a fast track. I mean, I yeah. think if he if he beats Nate Diaz or if if it's Nate Diaz that's next and he beats him, he's getting a title shot next. Yep. Um, but you know, I think there's like there's not many guys who's out there like trying to get a fight with Hamza. But you know, personally, the fight that I would like to see, uh, and I know that uh, it's kind of it, it doesn't do too much for him. But so I would like to see him fight uh, Neil Magny. You know, I think. Neil Magny is the type of guy that if you if you beat him because, you know, Lee's good, but, you know, Lee's not necessarily the type of guy that uh, you beat. And then you just everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like, you yeah. know, granted, it's the way that Hamza beat him. That's got everyone talking like this. But you beat a guy like uh, Neil Magny, who's very well-rounded as well-rounded very, as anybody in that division. Right. Like he may not be great right. anywhere, but he's he's good everywhere. Yeah, he's good everywhere, and he's got he's 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 very respected. He's got a lot of wins at yeah. welterweight. If Hamzat is able to ragdoll him, uh, then then I think we can talk about a title shot or the the top two or three. I mean, granted, you could still put him in there with a with with a Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luque or or whatever the case is. But you know, I think out of respect to the actual build, uh, put him in there with the Neil Magny and see what happens. Uh, because you know, Leon Edwards is supposedly promised a title shot. Uh, with a win, you still have Gilbert Burns and Vicente Luque uh, up there. So I mean, of course, you know Dana White loves loves Hamzat. So I'm sure like uh, he's, he's he'll probably benefit from Dana White privilege. But you know, I would love to see uh, uh, Neil Magny and Hamzat Shemaev fight. I think that'd be a fun fight. I think that uh, you know Hamzat just uh, does the same thing that he's done to this point. Here's the problem with that: like Neil Magny is a terrific fighter, and I have a massive amount of respect for him. I think I don't think his star power is big enough for what Hamzat has already turned into, right? Like I feel like Hamzat's star already has grown so much that the Magni fight doesn't make sense. Like I th- I don't know that Magni does anything to continue to elevate Hamzat. Like I, I think he jumps the line. He's in the top five right now. I think he jumps the line. Like it's it's Burns, it's Luque, it's you know Nate Diaz is kind of the the one exception of like you get Nate Diaz even though he's not a, a you know title contender. Like his name alone elevates you, but. I mean, nothing else. I, I think makes sense right now. To be on, to be quite real with you, if uh, if not Neil Magny, if we're throwing him straight to the top, you've got two guys who are sitting in the top three or four, whatever the case is, who don't have a fight. Yeah, you've got Gilbert Burns, you got Vicente Luque. Now I don't know how high um, they want to uh, you know do this with Hamzat, but for me, give it a fight night main event. Let Hamza fight in his first fight night main event against Vicente Luque. I want to see that fight. Oh, I definitely so, want to I'm, see that fight. But I would I mean, go, I, go ahead. Go ahead. You got. It. I was just gonna say I would love to see that fight, but I think those are the two guys that are ascending. I don't know that I want those guys fighting each other yet. I mean, where right? where else do you go? I mean, Gilbert you could give him Gilbert. But Gilbert's already Gilbert. Gilbert already had Gilbert's a title shot for the title. Right. He's already fought for the title. So why yeah. so why give Gilbert or why would give Hamza Gilbert? Because he's a top five guy, he's already had his title shot. Well, 
He doesn't have an opponent. Like it just, it, I don't think you have to sacrifice either Chemaev or Luke at this point because I think those are potentially your next two after Leon. Those are your next two guys. Like I, you know, Wonder Boy obviously has been around for a while. He's I don't think he's close. Uh, you know, Gilbert could climb back in with a fight like that, but he just had his opportunity. Um, you know, and then if you know Colby obviously is getting his second chance in three fights. So where do you go? Where do you go after Colby too? If Usman retains, like Leon can earn his shot with the win over Masvidal, but then it's I mean, the rest of the division is all retreads if it's still Usman. So True, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I would. I wouldn't want at this point yet because I think they're both still like I don't think either has reached their peak either. I don't know that I'd want to throw the Luke like timing wise. It'd be a great fight. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see it, but timing wise, I think I would save Luke and Shemaya for later down the road. I think for me, uh, before he gets a title shot, I want him to fight the absolute toughest fight out there for him uh, before he's before he lays claim to getting a title shot. I know he's a big star. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, you know, the striking differential and stuff. You know, he's proven himself. But I want to see him like normally there's that fight before you get a title shot that that actually gets you the title fight, you know, that yeah. actually proves that you're that guy. And I think uh, out of everyone at 170 for Hamza, I think Luke presents the most issues for him. I agree. But, uh, you know, that's just me. But, you know, what you said about Gilbert makes a ton of sense. Um, so, I mean, it could be anybody. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC does. But it, it actually could just be a Nate Diaz fight. He wins that and he gets a title, the next title shot. He beats so, Nate Diaz, he knows? gets a title shot, guaranteed. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, he might have to wait for Leon's title shot first if Leon doesn't somehow, like, break his leg in the process of beating Masvidal. Like, that would be the most Leon thing ever, right? He He wins... <sighs> but he like breaks his leg or something like walking out of the octagon and then he's out for like an extended period. Of, like, good Lord. Um, yeah. I mean, Leon obviously with a win over Masvidal would get his opportunity, but like you got to do something with Colby. If he loses this, you got to do something with Gilbert Burns eventually. And I like Luke a and Chemayev. I, I mean, if I were doing a power ranking today, I, mean, I don't know that I wouldn't have those guys as two and three. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Colby hasn't, um, I know Kobe hasn't done too much since he last fought Usman, but I think, uh, well, a power ranking. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. I probably would have Luke and Jemaya uh, the two or three, a power ranking. Yeah, I'm probably with you yeah. on that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would just, I would prefer to see each of those guys get a chance against an established guy and punch that ticket as opposed to Find one canceling other. the other's momentum yeah. out at this point. But, uh, look, the fight, I mean, that, that's, that's the best fight you can make. No question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that dude is a, what a psychopath. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Hamzat Shemaev, get him in the octagon ASAP. Which maybe the Magni fight will happen. I, I don't think, I, I feel like Hamzat's star has grown too much for, for that to be real. But he he also wants to fight like immediately. So Frequently, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe that just makes sense. Like, let's just get him back in there. And, and if Magni's uh, sitting there with his hand up, like, I'll fight yep. him, I'll fight him. When nobody else is, yep. why not? Yeah. Whew. What a good problem to have <laughs> if you're the UFC. All right, uh, first night, or, or the first, not night, the first fight <laughs> on the main card from Saturday was uh, Ankalaev Uzdemir. Um, this was a uh, full 15-minute decision. Again, we expected this result, Ankalaev. Um, pretty much, you know, I think like what we talked about last time, it's been a while since Uzdemir's been in the octagon, since the Yuri Prohaska fight at Fight Island last year. Uh, kind of felt like at this point in his career, he's still really good, but uh, somewhat of a, a gatekeeper in that division. Um, I think Daniel Cormier even said this during the fight, but 
it kind of felt like he was a little gun shy, right? Like he didn't want to fully engage. Uh, and maybe that's because of what happened with Yuri Prohaska last year. But uh, this was the result I expected, pretty close to the fight I expected. And uh, Uncle Ayev moves on. Yeah, man, Akalayev is a problem at 205. Um, he's moving up the ranks. Uh, he's going to get a big uh, fight next, probably someone in the top three. Uh, yeah, this fight, you know, Vulcan, you know, he's still he's still solid. Like, he's good. But um, like you said last week, uh, he's just a level under, you know, the top guys. Like, he's got losses to, like, the Dominic Reyes's and um, uh, Anthony Smith's. Like, all, the, yeah. all these top-tier light heavyweights. He's just a step below uh, these guys. Um, and Akalaev, you can just add him to the list. Um, uh, Vulcan's, he's solid, but, you know, these guys like uh, Akalaev, he's just a step above. So I'm, I'm curious to see what's next for Akalaev, you know, um, especially with Jan, with Jan losing the belt. And uh, now uh, I've heard that Anthony Smith is hurt, so he's going to be out for a while. Uh, what's going? What's next for Rakic? What's next for, is Yuri actually going to get the title fight? You know, there's a lot of um, interesting uh storylines uh at 205 and uh it's gonna be interesting to see going forward does dominic reyes have a fight not that i know of i like i like dominic reyes uncle i have um i like uncle i have tiago santos um you know for yawn I, I yawn rockage to me makes a lot of sense because rockage is right there but he's not done enough to put himself over the top for a title shot so like it just makes sense, right? He's the highest-ranked guy that currently doesn't have anything. Uh, you have Jan go down, fight him. If, if Rokic wins that, then, you know, he proves that he deserves to be there. Uh, it's still a, a top-tier fight for Jan after losing the belt. So, like, that one, to me, makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, uh, I actually heard an interview with Anthony Smith that he was uh, offered to fight Jan on the day of UFC 267 after Jan lost. He was offered to fight him, but he just had surgery, uh, so he couldn't accept. So I guess he couldn't accept the fight, or he was trying to uh, wait and see what the timeline would be. And then I guess Rockage was uh, offered the fight, so um, we'll see what happens with that. And uh, Ankalaev and, and Tiago Santos, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's probably uh, uh, the next fight. Uh, I don't know what Dominic Reyes does, but if I were him, I would do what Anthony Smith did: go down in the rankings and fight some of these guys. I don't. I don't think I would aim. For one of these top five guys, I think he needs to get uh, his mojo back before he gets uh, back into it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, you know, 205 was looking kind of dull after John Jones vacated the title. But I think uh, there's there's cause to be very excited about what's to come. Yeah, alive and well, the light heavyweight division in the UFC. All right, uh, prelims. Uh, Amanda Hebos big win over uh, Jandaroba. Uh, I thought one of the best fights of the card was uh, my guy Duraev from uh, from this season's Ooh. Dana White Contender Series. Uh, with a uh, that was a great fight on both sides. Uh, he gets the decision there. Uh, Larone Murphy, who we both picked in uh, in our selections, with a highlight KO, continues to be extremely impressive. Eleven and zero, and then how about uh, Andre Petrosky, who uh, gets his second UFC win? He was uh, on Team Ortega in this season of Tough, so he didn't win Tough, but uh, got his contract anyway and uh, wins a second UFC fight. Yeah, the, the prelims were, were very, very exciting. Um, like you said, you know, Amanda Hebos had a, a big win. She got dropped in the first round. I thought definitely uh, Virna was going to uh, cruise to a victory. I but, cussed, by uh, the way, he, when that happened. <laughs> Hebos was able to uh, to weather the storm. Uh, and then, you know, of course, like you said, Lerone Murphy, he, who had a terrible first round, clearly lost, yeah. but came out and ended that fight immediately in the second round. Uh, how about... Um, uh, that referee who got uh, 
uh, uh, dismissed from the from the uh, yeah. from doing any other fights. Uh, he had another fight scheduled, but uh, they didn't let him do it after the uh, Dos Santos Saint Denise fight. Um, that was just uh, very very horrible officiating. Uh, who let he let uh, Saint Denise take just uh, way too many shots in the, in that second round. It definitely should have been stopped. They were they were unentered, and uh, he was just taking them on the on the chin. Uh, his face was all battered. Uh, fans and announcers were were begging to just get this fight stopped, uh, throw him the towel, you know, anything. Uh, but and then in the third round, for him to take a point from Dos Santos for um for a for an inadvertent groin strike, uh, it was just it was just all bad. Uh, he deserved to not be able to to call any fights in the uh, in the main card. So, yeah. uh, other than that, you know, like you said, Petrosky with a with a pretty uh, solid performance. Uh, Albert, uh, how do you say his last Durayev. name? Durayev? Yeah, yeah. His his fight with Roman Kapilov that was crazy. a that was a crazy fight. Uh, definitely deserving of a of a bonus, but you know there were just so many uh, big fights on, on the main card. But uh, that was a crazy fight. His eye looked horrible. Oh. <laughs> His orbital was broke, but he still managed to come out with a victory. Uh, you look at both yeah, of them, just, you're like, that was a fight. Like that, that, that fight ends, you look fight. at both of them, you're like, that was a fight. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, just a very fun night of fights, uh, and it's going to lead us right into this big card at 268, man. That is correct, Will Brewer. UFC 268. Main card starts, I believe, at 9 o'clock Central Time. Madison Square Garden, New York City. Bruce Buffer back. Joe Rogan back. It is the A-team for the UFC as they get ready for one of the biggest cards of the entire year as we wind things down uh, already in the month of November. All right, we have eight fights to pick on UFC 267. All five of the main card fights and three prelims. And we begin in the middleweight division. Edmund Shabazian, 11-2 overall against Nasruddin Imavov, 10-3 overall. Oddshark.com, where we get all of our odds every week, has Shabazian as a plus 100 underdog, minus 120 for Imavov. Uh, before, before I go, what is, uh, what is my league going into this? I believe you were up by... 11, I'll have to go back and check. You were up by 11, and you came away with, uh, what, five points? It would have been four because you got that He-Boss win, so four points. Oh, that's I forgot you went opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so four points, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for being honest because I, I forgot that you were on the other side of that one, so I, I hadn't even <laughs> added that in, actually. So four, yeah, yeah, you just... So I believe yeah, you're at I, 15 points. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, so... This one, this one's really tough to pick because uh, Shabazian, while he's been losing, uh, to, he's been losing to some of the top tier fighters uh, in the division, like the Derek Brunsons, the Jack Hermansons. You know, before that, he was undefeated. Uh, I do think this is a, a very, very good matchup with Imavov, and Imavov has looked really, really good in uh, in his last couple fights. Um, man, this one's so tough. Um, you know. A lot, a big part of me wants to pick uh, Shabazian because I still feel like he's got uh, loads of uh, of potential. Uh, man, but I just don't think he's fought the competition that Shabazian has. So I am going to go. You know, I'm going to go with Shabazian, man. All right, Edmund Shabazian. I'm on the same side. Um, I I love this matchup. And look, this is the UFC basically saying, "All right, Shabazian, like." Here's another time to prove before we start giving you strikers again that you can get it done on the ground. Uh, I, I, you know, this guy obviously is not nearly the same threat that uh, I think Brunson and Hermanson are on the ground. Uh, but you know, I think we saw 
uh, improvement, at least, from Shabazian. In the last one, Jack Hermanson was just too much. Um, I, I think that we continue to see improvement. I think this is the fight that gets Shabazian back on the right track. I think he gets this win, and they probably give him some more favorable matchups going forward, right? This is, once again, for the third time in a row, a prove-it uh, in terms of stylistic matchups that that uh, prove that he's as well-rounded as, as uh, we were somewhat led to believe. So I'll go Shabazian as well. You know, they kind of did the same thing with Kevin Holland, right? They yeah. were giving him all these wrestlers, and they threw him with with Kyle Dawkins. Like, okay, prove it against someone who's not um, as known. You know, it's the same thing with Shabazian here. Yeah, um, Imavov is pretty solid on the feet, too. Uh, he can, uh, you know, throw some different looks at Shabazian. But uh, I think uh, with the improvements that I saw from Shabazian against Hermanson, I think they'll translate against uh, Imavov, and uh, he'll be able to kind of— um, be, be honest, be honest a little longer, and he is a problem on the feet. So yeah. uh, Shabazzian will be for me as well. All right, we head back to my favorite division in the sport. It is the lightweight division, 155. We have finally the return of Al Iaquinta after a two-year octagon absence. 14-6-1 overall versus Bobby Green, 27-12-1 overall. Oddshark.com has Iaquinta as a plus 150 underdog, minus 185 for Bobby Green. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this fight would have been um, a lot maybe easier to score um, or to, to pick before uh, because Al was just on a tear and uh, he gave Khabib his toughest fight, right? Uh, he, yeah. uh, he, uh, he he beat Masvidal when Masvidal was at 155. You know, Al for a long time was a staple at lightweight, a, a, a big time contender. But um I think with this layoff and I think with how tough Bobby Green is, I'm actually uh, I'm going to go with Bobby Green. You know, I know the crowd's going to be behind Al with him being from New York and everything. But uh, I think Bobby Green just um, uh, I think he's very skilled. And I think uh, Al, uh, especially with his last fight with Hooker, he kind of seemed like he uh, was kind of hesitant to pull the trigger. And Bobby Green's very hard to hit. So uh, I think it'll be uh, Bobby Green win for me. Bobby Green for me as well. And. Look, I think the bottom line for me is Ally Quinta hasn't been in the octagon since October of 2019. Bobby Green has been in the octagon six times since then. Uh, you mentioned being gun shy. Bobby Green has also not only fought a lot, but he's active, right? You get him in there and he's active. And I loved that Bobby Green Fazeev fight the last time we saw Bobby Green in the octagon. I thought that for as as big time as Fazeev is and, and what I think his ceiling is, Bobby Green gave him everything Fazeev wanted and uh, never went away. I, I kind of just feel like it's the it's the pace, it's the pressure, it's the activity for me uh, from Bobby Green that's the difference here for a guy that hasn't fought in two years. I mean, that's a tough ask for anybody when you haven't been in there that long and then you're going to get a guy that's not only active uh, and fighting all the time, but but is also going to be, you know, from stylistically active. So, um, you know, Al, Al has the power, I think, to, to potentially, like, land, land a big shot and, and do something from that standpoint, but Bobby Green's activity is the difference for me. All right. You know, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say this last thing. You know, uh, we, we talk about defense from uh, from uh, Peter Yan. I think Bobby Green's kind of up there when, in terms of defense. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to hit him. Uh, and even Vasiv, I mean, Vasiv was really aggressive and he hit him with some with some shots. But uh, it was tough for even Vasiv to, to really uh, land anything super clean on Bobby Green. So. Uh, Al's gonna ha- has his work uh, cut out for him for sure. Yeah, and and I thought you know Fazeev for as much as he he likes to be active and just throw nonstop, like I kind of felt like he didn't expect for Bobby Green to also give as much output coming back his way, and I felt like that at times frustrated him. Yeah, and and Bobby Green's going to be active. He's, he's going to talk shit to you. He's going to yeah. say you uh, all this 
he's gonna call you names. He's gonna yeah. talk about your past. Like he's gonna <laughs> like Bobby Green's gonna be playing uh, definitely mental warfare in there. Yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, like I said, our I Quintus definitely got his work cut out for him. All right, our feature prelim before we hit the main card, Andreas Michaelitis and Alex Pajeda at 185. 13-4 and four is Michaelitis. 3-1 is Alex Pajeda. com has Pajeda as a minus 250 favorite, plus 200 for Michaelitis. Man, I think, uh, you know, if you don't know who Alex Pajeda is, this guy is a former two-division champion in kickboxing and glory kickboxing, and he beat Israel Adesanya, yeah. the current middleweight champion, who's only got one loss in MMA. He beat him twice in kickboxing. Uh, yeah, and this guy is is scary. He is a tank of a man, and for him to be uh, at 185, it's it's very scary. I think uh, he is going to uh, be on a fast track. I think he's going to get a finish in this first in this fight against uh, Michaelitis. Uh, it depends on uh, if Michaelitis is able to get him down, but if this is just a, a standing fight, uh, there's not going to be much of a chance in my mind uh, for Michaelitis. I think Pajeda's left hand is um, it's it's a thing of gold. It's 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 kind of like Connor's, but this guy is uh, is big. You know, when you see him, uh, you're gonna think like, man, this is like he's at middleweight. Like he is a big yeah. he's a big guy. He's very scary. So um, uh, Alex Pajeda for me, and I think it's uh, just it's his debut in the UFC, and I think uh, he's got big things ahead for sure. Same, Alex Pajeda for me. Uh, you know, this is uh, I think as Highly anticipated a UFC debut as we've had in a while, uh, given the past and you know the history with uh, the king of middleweights. As uh, every time I see the promo with uh, John Anik screaming, "Israel Adesanya is the king of the middleweights," like, I, I, I love that that line. Uh, yeah, Alex Beheda, uh potentially uh, you know makes some waves in that middleweight division that is now absent of uh, Paulo Costa. By the way, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Five card, five fights on the main card, UFC 268. I didn't know this until we started the podcast tonight, and you informed me, actually. The opener for this is actually a, a fight that I think is potentially the fight of the year. It is the lightweight division. It is Justin Gaethje, 22-3 and three overall. Michael Chandler, 22-6 and six overall. I, I, I don't know what else to say about this matchup other than, holy shit, I can't wait. Gaethje <laughs> is a minus 220 favorite. Michael Chandler plus 175, Will. Uh, well, first of all, I definitely think these odds should be a little closer. Uh, I think this should be more of a pick'em fight because that's how I feel like this is. I feel like it's going to be uh, violence. Um, I don't know exactly how much skill is going to be uh, administered in this fight, but uh, I definitely see... Um, a barn burner just as long as this fight lasts. I definitely don't think it'll go the distance. Uh, if this was more of a technical fight, um, I feel like Justin Gaethje would have uh, more, like I feel like the odds would be kind of correct because I feel like Justin Gaethje is a little better um, overall than than Michael Chandler, and especially with how he's looked uh, lately with uh, with his fight with, uh, with Tony Ferguson, just how he completely outclassed him. Um, I think he's grown from being the violent guy to being a very uh, calculated, technical, skilled guy, uh, along with being uh, very violent when he has the opportunity. But I think Michael Chandler, with his style, I think it's going to pull the the violent, chaotic guy back out of Justin Gaethje. And when that guy's out there, you know anything could happen. You know, it, it's a it's a kill or be killed mentality for Gaethje when he's out there when he's like that. And I think that's the type of fight Michael Chandler wants. With that being said, though, um, I think. Um, 
after seeing Charles Oliveira drop Michael Chandler, I think, uh, and I hate to try to play like the, you know, the whole MMA math thing, but I think if, Chan- if Oliveira can clip him and, and knock him down like that, I think Gaethje, uh, with how powerful his strikes are, will be able to do uh, something similar. So my pick's going to go with Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje for me as well. I think this is fireworks. I, I just cannot wait to see this thing unfold. Um, I'm with you. I, I don't necessarily like the odds where they are because, uh, I you know, Michael Chandler, yeah, he got dropped, but, um, you know, he's also a guy that I think is, is uh, he's a smart dude, right? He will, like, recalibrate things and figure out where he can gain an advantage. Um, Gaethje doesn't like Michael Chandler. This is going to be Justin Gaethje's first fight back in front of a live crowd, by the way which, like, he feeds off of, right? This is Justin Gaethje's element. I feel like everything we've heard from Gaethje the last uh, couple months, like, he's been building up to this. He needs this. Like, it's it's just part of his being, I feel like, to be back in, in a stage like Madison Square Garden in front of thousands of fans uh, hoping to rip somebody's head off. Um, I think we're, uh, we're going to witness the very best of, of Justin Gaethje, and, uh, yeah, I think he gets a finish here. So I, what an awesome fight to kick off UFC 268. Justin Gaethje over Michael Chandler for me. All right. Oh, man. Fireworks. Fireworks. Uh, Fight number two, we have Bantamweights. Frankie Edgar returning for the first time since that devastating Corey Sanhagen knockout. 24-9-1 overall for Frankie Edgar. Marlon Chito Vera, 19-7-1 overall. Uh, Let's see. Chito Vera is a minus 170 favorite, plus 140 for Frankie Edgar. Man, um... This uh, potentially could be uh, Frank Yeager's last fight. Uh, a New York guy, uh, so he's going to have the MSG, cra- uh, MSG crowd behind him. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy who's been at, at it a long time, a former lightweight champion, a former 145-pound uh, uh, contender. Uh, now he's down at 135. You know, I think with Sanhagen, uh, a lot of people know that Corey Sanhagen is a future champion, uh, and I think uh, Frankie's style, uh, it just played right into what Corey does well. And uh, Corey was able to lend that knee and, and everything. Uh, but I don't think we uh, really got to see, you know, Frankie really do his thing at 135. You know, he when he fought Pedro Munoz, I think we got to see a, a small sample size of it. Um, and I think this fight with Cheeto Vera, I think Cheeto's good. I think... I think Cheeto's good, and he's got the potential to be amongst the, the top of the division. But I think, you know, it's, it's the same type of thing with Aldo. I think over three rounds, uh, I don't think that he's um, that he's got the tools quite yet to to beat a Frankie Edgar. I mean, he could knock him out, but I think with how I think this fight's going to go, a technical three-round uh, kind of barn burner, uh, I think Frankie Edgar um, is going to get the nod. I think it's going to be a decision. Uh, I think Frankie Edgar is going to get it done. All right. Uh, I'm on the opposite side. I also think it's going to be a decision. Um, I think we're going to see finally Cheeto Vera get that opportunity against a big name that finally puts him over the top. Like, the guy's been around forever, and you forget for as experienced as he is, Will, 19-7-1, he's only 28 years old, right? And it just kind of feels like every time he seems to gain momentum, like he's just not been able to get that one win that's like quite put him over the top. And, and you know, I got I know we got the Sean O'Malley win. A little bit of controversy there with like, you know, the, the injury. And I, I don't know that he really, um, you know, won over UFC fans with that win necessarily. Um, you know, kind of like Leon Edwards. It was kind of just an unlucky. You won and you, you love the win, but like it was it was kind of unlucky in the way that you don't gain a lot of momentum out of that win. Um, 
I think this is the one that does it for him. I think we see him look as sharp as he's ever looked. I also wonder, you know, what is the overall activity level from Frankie Edgar after a knockout like that, after a long absence? Uh, you know, it's it's not like he's a super young guy. Um, you know, sometimes you, you, this is this is kind of the fork in the road, right? This is the crossroads for a guy like this where you've had that devastating knockout and you either have to answer the bell or you see these guys come out and just never be the same again. Um, I, I don't know that I, I feel like he's never going to be the same again, but I think this is a really tough opponent to, to follow up um, what we saw the last time he was in the octagon. So I'll go uh, Cheeto Vera. I think this is the one that finally kind of gets him to that, that upper echelon of, of this division. All right, uh, featherweights, we have Shane Burgos, 13-3 and three overall. Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo, 16-3 and three overall. Two of the most entertaining featherweights in the entire world. This will be an awesome fight. Shane Burgos, minus 200, plus 160 for Billy Q. You know, I've, I've won some, some points uh, from betting on Billy Q uh, in the past, but uh, this is not going to be a time where I uh, put my money on Billy Q. <laughs> Um, I think he's fought some some solid guys, you know, on his way up to this opportunity against uh, a Shane Burgos, who was kind of ranked towards the bottom of the division. But it just shows you how loaded featherweight is. If like your first crack at a top 15 guy is Shane Burgos, um, you know, Shane Burgos is coming off that loss to Edson Barbosa. You know, Shane Burgos is always in these firefights. So anything could happen. You know, he's he's lost two he's lost two straight. He's lost to uh, Josh Emmett and Edson Barbosa. But those are two guys who are, you know, at the top of the division. Um, he fought Calvin Cater many moons ago, lost to him. But a lot of a lot of his fights are fight of the night caliber fights, and uh, I, I think this is a big step up for Billy Q. Um, the only thing that makes me a, a little hesitant to pick Shane is how he lost to to Barbosa, the the delayed uh, knockout type thing. Uh, it was. It was very scary to see, but he he says that he's uh, all good and, you know, he, he didn't really have a concussion and no uh, effects afterwards. So, uh, you know, with that being said, uh, my pick is going to go with Shane Burgos. All right. Um, I'm 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 on the Shane Burgos side of things. I, I debated going into this podcast, just taking the opposite side of you, because I do feel like the odds should probably be a little bit closer than they actually are. Uh, but I, I, I have a hard time picking against Shane Burgos. Like you said, I think uh, you look at the last two losses, you consider who they're to and just the level that he's fought at. The thing that gives me pause here is, like you mentioned, Shane Burgos is a fight-of-the-night kind of guy. Like That's the kind of fight that uh, he wants. That's the kind of fight he's going to try to make happen. You know, I, I know that Billy Q, to me, is not as skilled as Shane is on, on the feet, but Billy Q is so well-rounded everywhere that, you know, I think this could be one of those situations where Billy Q doesn't allow Shane Burgos to, to, to turn this into another just all-out war fight of the night type thing. Uh, I, I'm just saying I think he has that capability. Uh, the bottom line is I think this is a, it does turn into a firefight, and uh, I'll take Shane Burgos' side of it. Yeah, man, you know, uh, I just think with how, with how much, how well Shane Burgos did in those fights that he lost against the Calvin Cater, against Edson Barboza, against Josh Emmett. Like, yeah. Shane Burgos was in those fights. They were firefights. Um, they're the type of fights that Shane loves, but it's also what could be, it could work to his detriment as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think with Billy Q, he's just, with with the fighters that he's fought, I don't think Billy Q uh, has seen anything uh, right. like Shane Burgos has. So I think just that experience is going to work wonders for Burgos in this one. 
Shane Burgos is as tough as they come, right? Like, we've seen him take a ton of damage, and we know he can take a ton of damage, and that always, like, makes you confident that, that a guy's not going to get finished. At some point, though, you take enough damage that you've taken too much damage, and you can no longer <laughs> take any more damage. That's a lot of damages in a short amount of time. Uh, what yeah. I'm saying, though, is we've seen him take it. We know he can take it. At what point has he taken too much? I don't think we're there yet, but, uh, you know, it's one of those questions that you see with the guys that are constantly in wars, and... Uh, I know that I've heard multiple people have this conversation about Shane Burgos, for sure. All right, our co-main event, Will. We have a strap on the line. It is the female division at 115. It's a rematch. Thug Rose Namahunas, 10-4 and four overall, a two-time champ in this division, versus Whaley, 21-2 and two overall. Oddshark.com has Rose Namahunas as a plus 100 underdog, minus 120 for... Zhang Wei Li. Man, um, this one's this one's interesting because uh, you know the first fight ended so quickly. I think that's what a lot of people have said. You know, we didn't we really didn't get to see much. We saw a few leg kicks from Wei Li. We saw Rose moving and everything, and then we just saw the fight in with that head kick. So we didn't get to see too much. And um, you know, I don't really like you know all the excuses that was made after from Wei Li's camp, and you know she got booed. She wasn't expecting it. Uh, you know, she saw Chris Weidman's leg leg injury and it messed up her mind and, you know, all types of stuff. You know, I didn't like it. I didn't like uh, all the excuses. So, uh, you know, she moved camps. Uh, she moved to start training with Henry Cejudo. So, you know, that tells me, uh, you know, if you're going to train with Henry Cejudo, you're definitely working on your wrestling because uh, Henry Cejudo is an Olympic uh, an Olympic gold medalist in, in wrestling. So uh, I know. Uh, Whaley might uh, try to mix in some takedowns because, you know, if you're trying to deal with Rose's uh, length and her movement, it's not uh, it's not ideal for someone like Whaley who's trying to land uh, these power shots. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know what this fight looks like. I definitely don't think we'll see a first round finish. I think we'll see um, more of the fight that we were looking for in the first fight. Um I, I tend to wonder who who's uh, who's under more pressure out of the two because you know Rose going in I don't think she had as much pressure as Whaley did and I think in this one Whaley has put some pre- a, a lot of pressure on herself but now Rose is going into MSG where all the magical moments happen uh, is it going is the pressure going to become too much and she uh, gets underconfident when she gets underconfident you know she doesn't really perform that well but when she's on her game she's the best. So a lot of questions going into this fight, but um, one thing that I will say, I think that Wei Li is going is training to try to uh, negate just uh, Rose's stand up, but I don't think that's all that you have to be worried about with Rose. Rose is very well rounded, and uh, I think with that being said, man, I think this is uh, a recipe for Rose to uh, show her skills, man, and I think uh, this will be a Rose Namunis win. I don't really know how, but I think uh, Rose will get it done. All right. Uh, Thug Rose is one of my favorites, uh, but I think this margin is so slim and me being behind on the scorecard, like I knew 1000% when we started recording this, that whichever way you went, I was taking the other side and look like, I, I kind of feel like you were like maybe talking yourself in and out of both sides of this just now. Like I've done that for the last week. Like I've gone back and forth. I've talked myself into picking Rose. I've talked myself into picking Whaley. Like I, I think this thing could go either way. So uh, if we're going coin flip and I'm behind on the scorecard, uh, this is about as good an opportunity as there is for me to potentially <laughs> land one where I don't feel like I'm, I'm like 
100% picking against something that I think is going to happen. So uh, I'll go Way Lee, man, uh, to be on the opposite side and potentially win some points back. I, I had a really, really good feeling that you were going to be on the opposite side on this fight because uh, I have a feeling that you're not going to be on the opposite side on the next one uh, with your favorite fighter fighting and everything. But uh, we'll get to we'll cross that bridge. We'll when find we out in a second. We'll find out in a second. <laughs> All right, so uh, it is Whaley for me, Thug Rose for Will, which takes us to the main event of UFC 268. It is the welterweight division, the pound-for-pound king of the sport at the moment. Kamaru Usman, 19-1 and overall. Colby Covington, 16-2 and overall. Wait a minute, 19-1. and Has he lost? Yeah, he lost before he got in the UFC. Oh, that's right, that's right. He's undefeated in the UFC. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, undefeated in the UFC. Yeah, I I remember that now. I, I brain fart there. Uh, I was like, is this a misprint? And then, yeah. Uh, Kamaru Usman, 19 and one overall Colby Covington, 16 and two overall. These guys had one of the best UFC title fights I've ever seen. It's a rematch Madison square garden. Kamaru Usman has been nearly flawless since these guys last fought. Colby Covington's fought one time against uh, a Tyron Woodley. Who's no longer in the UFC since their last fight. Uh, look, the, the trash talk, the dislike between the two guys, all of it aside, these two guys match up pretty well, and uh, if this one is anything like the first one, regardless of the outcome, it's going to be a hell of a fight. Oddshark.com has Kamaru Usman at a commanding minus 310 favorite, plus 240 for the challenger, Colby Covington. Um, man, this this is as good as it gets, man. These, this is one of those matchups where you're going to see uh, high-level MMA. Um, I love this matchup. Uh I don't have many good things to say about Kobe Covington, so I'm going to get them out while I uh, while I'm feeling uh, pretty solid about it right now. But um, I do think out of everyone uh, in at 170 pounds, um, these two guys are at, at the top. These are the two best guys outside of fighting each other. There hasn't been many moments of uh, of adversity for either guy. Uh, Kobe Covington has been dominant uh, in his uh, UFC career outside of his one loss uh, to Worley Alves very early in his career and uh, to Usman. Other than that, Kobe Covington has been pretty flawless. And Usman, outside of uh, two, losing two rounds to uh, to Kobe, or maybe maybe it was one, maybe it was two, but outside of that fight with Kobe Covington, Usman has been uh, flawless as well. Uh, these... This matchup, it's, it's as close as it gets, uh, especially for Usman. Um, you know, Kobe's a guy who's, who brings a lot of pace, uh, a lot of activity, uh, uh, you know, a lot of volume. Um, he, he's good with his wrestling. Uh, he's going to throw a lot of strikes. But when he fought Usman, uh, Usman's power kind of negated all of uh, Kobe's activity. You know, he wasn't able to really mix in takedowns because Usman's so good. Uh, with his uh, with his takedown defense, with his own wrestling and everything, I think there's there was a stat I read I listened to in the fight that said that Usman's perfect with his takedown defense, and Kobe's only been taken down once. So it just shows you how uh, close this matchup is. But you know, Usman won the first fight by uh, knockout in the in the fifth round. It was very close, but and we've seen Usman uh, evolve since then. Uh, he's knocking guys out. His striking is looking very very crisp. Uh, his jab is looking good. His uh, his hooks are looking crazy. Like he's knocking guys out now. Um, and but we've we've only seen Kobe once. We've seen him against Tyron Woodley, uh, and this is a Woodley who had already lost the belt, who had already lost to Burns. Um, 
So Kobe's kind of getting like the sloppy seconds in a way. Uh, Willie was already on his way down. So I don't really think we got to see much of a sample size of what uh, what's to come. So with that being said, man, uh, I, there's not many guys that I, um, that I would bet against. But, you know, Usman, I'm not going to bet against him. Pound for pound king right now. Uh, I got Kamaru Usman. Uh, I don't I don't see I think this is a bad matchup for Kobe, especially with the, how Usman's improved. Uh, when it comes to Kobe's pace, like Usman can match his pace. When it comes to wrestling, Usman's uh, a great wrestler. When it comes to striking, uh, Usman's there with him. Uh, like there's not really many avenues for success for Kobe Covington. He says he's got some tricks up his sleeve and he's got new things that people haven't seen. It's, it's going to take something like that for him to beat Usman because Usman at this point, he's proven that he's one of the greats of all time. Why was this such a great fight the first time around? I think it's because these guys are so similar that, you know, it becomes a great matchup, right? Like, where where each guy is strong, the other guy is almost equally strong. The problem is, Colby Covington is just a, and maybe it's a small degree, but just a small degree lesser version of Kamaru Usman, right? Like, the, everywhere that the, these guys match up, they're almost similar, but Kamaru Usman's just a little bit better in every area, yes. right? Like, they're so right. similar, but it's just small advantage Usman here, small advantage, small advantage, and I, I'm just not sure where I would say... This is where I think Colby can win the fight, uh, you know, short of maybe just landing a big shot, and and that's the difference. But, you know, we, we haven't seen Colby Covington except for the one time against Tyron Woodley since these guys last fought. This is, to me, just I, I don't know how you can pick against Usman here. Usman was the decision king forever, right? And I think it was a big reason why he wasn't respected to the degree that he probably should have been, right? Like, he was a very underrated champion for a while, very underrated star in the sport because... He was just piling up all these decision wins, right? Leon Edwards and Worley Alves and Sean Strickland and uh, Damian Maya, RDA, Tyron Woodley, like all these big names, but there, there, there wasn't the highlights, right? That's what people want to see. They want to see the highlights. And while he was winning all these fights, uh, it, was, it was decisions. And then all of a sudden, you have Kamaru Usman now having finished four of his last five, Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, uh, Jorge Masvidal, uh, like or excuse me, three of his last four. Masvidal, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington with the decision against Masvidal on Fight Island, the short notice fight. Uh, he has, I think, taken leaps in terms of his striking and that jab. And again, maybe Colby's better, but we have literally nothing to gauge that on. Whereas we've seen Kamar Usman get a lot better since the last time he fought Colby Covington. I, I don't think there's any way uh, that, that you can like sell me why Colby Covington would win this fight. Not saying he can't, and I think it'll be a good fight, but like, I, where where do you like legitimately sell Colby Covington beating Kamaru Usman on Saturday night? I don't think you can. Yeah, it, it you can't because, uh, like you said, the matchup is, so, is just so close. But still, Usman is just a little bit better uh, than uh, than Colby in mostly every facet of the game: uh, striking, wrestling, uh, just pace, like just everything. He, uh, Usman is just a little better. Uh, if Kobe can uh, can mix things up in a way that Usman's not expecting, like if Kobe's actually willing to try to take Usman down, uh, that might uh, work to his detriment because uh, that's going to take a lot out of him if he's not able to get Usman down. But I think Kobe's going to have to try some some different things. He's going to have to mix it up because uh, if this uh, stays standing, I think it uh, favors Usman even more than it did in the first fight. Yeah. Uh, especially now after working with Trevor Whitman. So. Um, Kobe's got his work cut out for him, but, uh, you know, I, I don't want to count him out completely 
because uh, despite all of the bull bullshit he talks and all of the you know antics and character and everything that he says, the nicknames and all that, the guy can fight, man. Yeah, he, he guy, absolutely can. Yeah, the guy can act. The guy is is really really good. He's very very talented. So um, he can win this fight. It's just uh, it's just tough to see it with how yeah. good Usman is. Uh, it's not a knock on Kobe. It's just how great uh, Kamaru is. Yeah, and, and my point is not that he can't win this fight or not that I don't think it's a close fight because I think it'll be a close fight. I think it'll be a great fight. I think it'll be an awesome fight. Uh, my point is, like, if you are, you know, trying to break this thing down and you're trying to give me bullet points of why Colby Covington would win, I, I don't know what your bullet points are, right? Like, <laughs> right. he's not been active. We've not seen where he's massively improved. We've seen the champion get way better since the last time they fought. The champion knocked him out the last time they fought. Across the board, we feel like, you know, Usman's a little bit better everywhere. Not by a large margin, but just a little bit. But, like, where where would you say is the path? I, I, I just don't know. Not that it can't happen. I just don't know where you sell it happening. So Yeah, it, it, it's very tough to sell, man. Yeah. Just He can just do it, for sure. How, yeah, he can. He can. Uh, God, I, I feel like I'm low-key trying to defend him, but I really <laughs> I really shouldn't because of, you know, how much I dislike the guy. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm just trying to respect uh, his talent. But yeah. uh, just at the same time, man, Usman is just so good. It's just, like you said, it's, it's a real yeah. tough sell. And then we get to hear Kamar Usman be like, I keep telling all these guys, man, I'm just I'm different. <laughs> I'm on another level. I'm just different than all these guys. Yeah, just just different, man. Just different than uh, all these guys. These these guys are my sons. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's got something new this time. He says these guys are my sons. By the way, I did hear, uh, or I didn't hear, I read a Kamaru Usman quote today that said he would be willing to discuss a potential super fight with Israel Adesanya, but the number he threw out was $100 million. So, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to discuss a Mike Tyson fight, but, you know, <laughs> there's a price for everything, sir. Exactly. Yeah, if, I'm sure. You know, he he's always said him and Izzy. They've always said that they wouldn't fight each other. Yeah. But if they're throwing out 100 million dollars, yeah. I'm sure they'll be like, "Bruh, yeah, I'll go fight Mike Tyson right now for 100 million dollars. I'm in." Right. Like, there. I don't think there would be any links that anybody in this world wouldn't go to to get 100 million dollars. Yeah, no doubt. You would fight. You would fight uh, Mike Tyson. You might do 10 shoeies for 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 100 million dollars. I. You know it. I don't think it matters. You know, whatever the case is, $100 million, you'll do about anything. So yep. I'm with Usman there. Yeah. So uh, I, I was like, oh, nice. And then I saw for $100 million, and I was like, well, no <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to go, like, slam my face into the wall next to me. But, I mean, you, you back up $100 million. Look out. I'm going to slam my face into the wall. So, yeah, it, it was misleading. I got a little bit excited. Then I was like, ah, uh, yeah, of course. $100 million. Anyway, yeah, dude, it, Saturday's going to be fun. Also, by the way, uh, Canelo Alvarez, Caleb Plant. Like, yeah, there's not much that could maybe divide my attention, uh, and especially when it comes to boxing versus MMA. It's, I mean, it's a MMA by a mile. Canelo's the one guy, though, that will move the needle for me in that direction where I'll, I'll, uh, I'll at least be aware and, and paying attention at the same time. I hope that they do um, what the... One, I forget what fight it was, but Canelo was fighting on the same night of a big card, and they literally didn't let Canelo walk out until the um, the pay per view was over. Yeah, uh, I forget what what uh, fight it was, but uh, Canelo was literally sitting in the in his locker room. I think his opponent was like laying down on the couch. They were uh, literally just showing them in the locker room while I think it was the last time that the UFC was at MSG when Masvidal fought Diaz. Everybody knew that nobody was going to be tuning in to Canelo and uh, whoever he was fighting. I forget his name. 
they were going to be watching the UFC fight. But as soon as the, the fight ended, then uh, they rewarmed up for about 10 minutes and then they walked out. So I'm hoping it's a scenario like that. So we're able to watch uh, both without yeah. having to uh, split our attention because with a fight card like this, uh, you you don't want your attention to go away from uh, all the excitement on UFC 268. But this Canelo and Caleb Plant fight, you know, you want to see Canelo fight some competition. I think Caleb Plant presents uh, that competition for him. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very good fight. I'll go Canelo round nine. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm thinking round eight or nine, but I think uh, he's going to have to battle through some yeah. sort of adversity uh, in this fight for sure. Yeah, no doubt. All right, buddy. UFC 268 Saturday. MSG should be an awesome one, and uh, we will catch up next week. Uh, I, I just want to say one thing. Uh, uh, I'm very, very grateful uh, to uh, the lovely Lauren Lauren Daniels <laughs> for the, those uh, amazing, amazing bacon-wrapped uh, jalapenos with the chips and uh, everything, you know, last time I had two, but uh, I am here to update you on this one. And, and I will say I had double digit bacon wrapped jalapenos. I don't know where I stopped at, but uh, they were very, very good. Very nice. I will let her know uh, there. You left and there were still uh, bacon wrapped jalapenos on the tray, which I was shocked by. So, um, yeah, I luckily lucky for me, I got to finish the rest of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they we, we made sure that there were enough. Uh, cause, uh, you've been hyping these things up for a while. So yeah, definitely hit, hit double digits. And it got to the point where I where it was just like, all right, I'll take a few for the road, but I can't do anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. I will let her know, man. And we'll, uh, we'll have to do another fight card very, very soon. Absolutely, man. All right. He is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels and, uh, UFC 268 on Saturday night. We will catch you next week. Podcast is over.